Hello and welcome to Global Solutions Module 2, The Earth and Us. So this module is about our relationship to the Earth, to the planet that we live on, and a number of key issues that have arisen because of our relationship with the planet, how we treat it, what we're doing to it, and the changes that we need to make in order to have a healthy, whole, and thriving future for us and for all humanity. These podcasts are designed to go along with the slide presentation, so do watch the slide presentation for this module as you're listening to the podcast. So as you see on the first slide, The Earth and Us, there's a list of key challenges. Uh, the top key challenges for us are overuse of resources, the destruction of the natural world, including habitat loss, which leads to biodiversity loss. We also have the issues of global warming, climate change, pollution and waste, soil erosion, and connected to all of them, the population explosion. So these are the key challenges that we're facing. And obviously, there are connections between all of these separate challenges. But let's start with a general assessment of where we are. And the next slide is called the ecological challenge. So to quote, the overwhelming evidence of the IPBES global assessment from a wide range of different fields of knowledge presents an ominous picture, said the chair, Sir Robert Watson. To quote, the health of ecosystems on which we and all other species depend is deteriorating more rapidly than ever. We are eroding the very foundations of our economies, livelihoods, food security, health and quality of life worldwide. So that's from the Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services. So the report finds that around 1 million animal and plant species are now threatened with extinction, many within decades, more than ever before in human history. Habitat loss poses the greatest threat to species, the world's forests, swamps, plains, lakes, and other habitats continue to disappear as they are harvested for human consumption and cleared to make way for agriculture, housing, roads, pipelines, and the other hallmarks of industrial development. Without a strong plan to create terrestrial and marine protection areas, important ecological habitats will continue to be lost. So that's from the World Wildlife Fund. So despite the habitat loss that has occurred globally to date, there is still hope uh, as studies reveal that by protecting 50% of the land and ocean around the world, plant and animal species could thrive. Today, only 50% of the land and 7% of the ocean is protected, leaving us with a challenging yet attainable goal, according to Jonathan Colby of National Geographic. As with many of these areas that we look at, it's unfortunate to have to report that the situation is pretty critical. We are at a point where uh, due to massive progress, in a way, of human lifestyle through the agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution, and the creation of complex 
cities and energy structures and everything that we use and is consumed for a modern lifestyle around the world plus the fact that we have grown to a population of 7 billion people all of a sudden we've had a massive explosion of human population on the globe and a major portion of that population is consuming a vast amount of the Earth's resources. And as you will discover as you look through the various links in this slide presentation or in the course resource section, you can see that we are consuming far more than the planet can cope with. Now the thing is, I think that for most of us also, one of the situations that's also that's true is that we are removed from the consequences for a large part of uh, what happens in the world. Yes, we can see on media if we if we seek it out and if we are interested in these subjects, we can definitely you know find places, NGOs, sites, news reports, and articles which can educate us about what's going on in these various areas, such as climate change, habitat loss. And actually, of course, that's exactly what we want to do during this course, tough as it is to look at things as they are. But for the most part, most of the time, we're not actually seeing the consequences of what's going on. You know, the tropical rainforest, the fact that 50% have disappeared, and many other environments are being destroyed, polluted, or simply, as in rainforests, cut down and lost because countries where these resources are, are usually doing that so that they can export those resources for income for the country. And those resources predominantly go to the developed nations. Uh, so the developed nations basically are buying up and consuming these resources where they are around the world and very often in less developed nations who are doing this because partly they've been told to in order to draw to earn foreign income and secondly because it brings in a short-term benefit of income for the country. Of course when you look at the economics of the long-term impact it tells a very different story. We are in a situation on a global scale where we are all engaged in the enterprise of selling our future. That's the basic truth beneath all these different aspects of all these different problems. The connection between them is that we are destroying our planet, consuming more than it can cope with, losing all these habitats, causing what's called a mass extinction of biodiversity in order to maintain a current lifestyle that cannot be feasible for future generations. Sad to say that we are currently the generation that is doing this, uh, living fundamentally a completely unsustainable lifestyle, an unsustainable system. So 
one of the things that we'll be thinking about as we go through this and looking into the future of this is what paradigm is at work that promotes that situation? What is the deep stuff? As that's, that's the interesting thing of, of, of this approach is that we look at and gain a certain amount of knowledge and expose ourselves to the truths and the realities of soil erosion, biodiversity loss, habitat loss, climate change, and so on. And there's plenty of uh, links to do that and source resources to do that. But then we start to think about, you know, the deeper levels behind that, the connections. And ultimately, we're going to take us to a place where we assess the underlying paradigms that put us in the current situation we are in. Because ultimately, of course, what we want to be doing and thinking about is changing things at a fundamental level. I think the UN and others and most people in the arena who are concerned about what we are doing to our own planet and its environments and the climate all recognize that because of the scale of the problems, because of the scale of the situation in relation to all of these areas, simply having small scale, limited kind of projects and um, remedies is not going to make a fundamental difference. That's not to say that Every project that's making a contribution, whether it's to save a habitat, whether it's to improve uh, soil in certain areas, reform agriculture, or um, protect a forest, um, protect a certain species that's threatened, it's all good. We support it all. We want it all. Promote it all. It's great that people are working on that. But even collectively, that is not enough. If you can see from this figure, this estimate here of the ecological challenge, the assessment is we need to protect 50% of the land and ocean around the world so that plant and animal species can thrive. So we're at 15% of the land and 7% of the ocean. So, <laughs> I mean, the person who's quoting that figure says it's challenging yet attainable goal, but obviously there's a huge gap between what we're currently protecting and the assessment of what we need to protect. So this is why we both celebrate everything that people are doing and NGOs are doing and all of us are doing on an individual level to be more sustainable, to think about the effects of our actions, the effects of our consumption and the situation for the globe and its people. We also need to recognize that there's a massive ticking clock. <laughs> and that clock is not like a normal clock in that as time goes by, the more you don't do what is required to avert ecological disasters, both on a local and global scale, the actual clock speeds up. The seconds speeds up. So the more that you don't do, the more that you need to do is the way it works. So we are actually under a great deal of pressure to bring about fundamental and transformational change in everything that we do and in every way that we live. 
people who are taking this course obviously are people who are aware and wish for changes, fundamental transformations that will see the planet thriving, that will protect the very environments that we depend on. And if one is to go through them all, what you can see is that if you lose tropical forests, you create local drying out of the climate that can warm a local area, leading to a big increase in forest fires. Now there's a NASA site uh, where you, which you can go to and you can see the global fires going on at any one time. And um, it can be pretty sobering when you look at that and see the number of fires that are happening. Of course, we have the story in America and in general about this increasing level of natural disaster. Why? Because as we will sort of delve into as you go through the slides, the ecology that we live in and the climate are all complex systems, complex adaptive systems. So if you make changes, what we, we've discovered through looking at the record of the climate of the planet and so on, actually doesn't take that much of a change in any of the system like this to produce quite strong effects. So we, in a sense, have a false sense of security because we've happened to have lived and thrived in a very stable time for the climate after the last ice age. Um, but what we need to realize or what we are learning from studying all of this is that with such a vast complex adaptive systems and the climate of the world that even if you put a little bit of extra energy into it in the form of heat you get pretty strong effects which not only affect for a little while but if you continue just gradually, even very small amounts, increase the amount of heat, which is energy, going into the complex system of global climate, the effects increase. Like the ticking clock, the more that you do that, it's not that the effects just incrementally grow at the same rate, no. The effects grow at a faster and faster and more dramatic and more dramatic rate. That's how it works. So we're already seeing, and most people recognize that in terms of climate, uh, the small increases in global temperature that have happened so far are already having hmm, fairly dramatic effects on the global climate. Now, the thing is about putting more heat into any system is that that means more heat literally means more drama because more things happen and those things are slightly more dramatic um, because heat is a form of energy. Think of it like this. If, if you take heat out and things become more colder and colder and colder and colder, and gradually, you know, you have an ice age and most of North America is covered in an ice sheet, you see that things basically settle down and become less dramatic because it literally is all freezing up that's how it tends to work and that's how it's working 
currently, which is why even with a small amount of increase of energy, we start to see quite dramatic you know, increase in uh, the ferocity of storms, uh, droughts, but also deep freezes sometimes, which if you don't know how a complex system like this works, sometimes people say, well, look, you know, this has been colder than ever, breaking records in this area. So where's the heating of the planet? Well, of course, if you look into it, for instance, why you get more extended Arctic vortex, you find out that that's due to changes in the jet stream and that's directly connected to climate change. So you can't always predict local effects to a high measure of certainty. But what you can say generally is that the more we are increasing the heat in the system, which we are doing by um, having so much more extra CO2 in the atmosphere, greenhouse gas, methane as well, that you will increase the drama. You will have these more these these extremes happening. Plus the fact that the, uh, as we know, uh, the ice is melting, which takes a long, long time, but it is gradually increasing the uh, level of the ocean. The ocean is going up uh, bit by bit. So this is the whole ticking clock of the situation. So if you look at any of these ecological areas, then you will find that uh, we are beginning to see very clearly, very sharply, the effects of our actions. Complex system is beautiful like that in that it consists of feedback loops. You do something, there's a feedback. There's a reaction, there's a response. It tries to adapt and rebalance. And in that, it, you know, some, some things thrive, some things don't. What is good to understand is that in that complex system, there are margins with it which... You know, things are all okay, little increases in temperature, drops in temperature, changes in the flow of food or calories or resources going through the system. There's tolerations built into it. As soon as you stretch beyond those tolerations, then you have much more dramatic effects. Suddenly species will disappear. Primary species, as they call, will flourish and take over everything. Like with a coral reef, small increase in acidity, corals die off. Suddenly, the all whole seafloor is covered by a primary species like sea urchin, which ain't great. As long as you're in those broad tolerations, you can have variations within the system, like with the climate, like with each ecosystem on Earth and all the species living in it. If you produce a faster rate of change to any of the key components going into that system, like heat, uh, energy, food resources and uh, water and so on, then you can have rather dramatic changes which can become uh, permanent. Okay, so that's, you know, why we have a little section here on complex systems. So you can go into these links and see that explained, explored through ecosystem, uh, complex system, complex adaptive system. So do um, have a look at those various links and check them out. And in general, of course, what we as human beings rely on is complexity. We need an environment that is not simple. To describe a simple environment, Mars is a simple environment. It doesn't have any oceans. It doesn't have currently any life. It just is a rock swinging around the sun and very cold. 
something like minus 81 in general. Obviously, it's a, a lot further out from the sun as well. It's, you know, about half the size or a bit more of, of the Earth, so its gravity is lower. And it has a very thin atmosphere, which is basically carbon dioxide. So there are always in nature these critical tipping points where if Mars was closer to the sun and warmer and maybe a little larger and a few other key fundamental things, it might have retained its water. That could have sustained life for a longer period. It would have generated oxygen in the atmosphere and so on. It could have become then another planet which was bursting with life like the Earth. Bursting with life. Life is complexity. The individual body has trillions of different organisms, viruses and bacteria, and different parts to it, all of which we need. We couldn't live without them. So we are a collective, um, in fact, and it's all very necessary to make us function. So human beings depend on that complexity. We depend on it in our environment. We use it for what we eat. We eat complexity. We use complexity as medicines. We use complexity to be able to uh, reform, change our world, modify it to suit our needs and so on. But the critical thing is in doing so, we need to also maintain that complexity. It makes sense. We were born out of it. We were raised by it. We're looked after by it. We survive because of it. And now we're destroying it at an alarming rate. So that is definitely not a path to the future and not a problem to be handing on to our future generations. So that's why we have that little section on complexity. So to appreciate that, that is um, a very critical part of what life is and what promotes thriving life. Evolution is from, evolution in general is from simple to complex. Human brain is the most complex uh, organ of all. And then because of our human brain, we have social complexity and structures and so on, cultural complexity, political evolution and complexity, and technology, which is an understanding of the complexity of the world. That's how we can create technology, because we can see how things work, and therefore we can create things as a result of that. If we damage the very complexity that is the source and maintainer of life for us, well, look out. It will not end well. It will not be a story that ends well. What I thought would be good is to actually do a case study to look at the meat industry. An industry basically is a complex system, has many parts, has many dependencies, interrelationships, things that it consumes, things that it creates, effects that it has um, on the people who work within it, on the animals, for instance, in the meat industry that are part of it. They are part of what is consumed. And then, of course, you have the effects of that industry. So our case study is to look at the meat industry. Uh, the world's biggest meat and dairy companies 
it, you know, can surpass ExxonMobil, Shell and BP as the world's biggest climate polluters within the next few decades. So that's one of the outcomes from the massive global uh, meat industry. There are fundamental challenges when we look into the meat industry on a number of levels. One of them being is the unsustainable use of resources. Now, there's many industries that are using resources uh, unsustainably, but um, we are happening to look at the meat industry. At another point, we'll look at the fashion industry. Another aspect is the one we mentioned where it's effect on greenhouse gas emissions. And so it's also a contributor to climate change. So here are some of the key facts. By 2050, we must reduce global emissions by 38 billion tons to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. If all other sectors follow that path, while the meat and dairy industry's growth continues as projected, the livestock sector could eat up 80% of the allowable GHG budget in just 32 years. In other words, really undermining our attempts to limit global warming. Most of the top 35 global meat and dairy giants either do not report or under-report their emissions. You can read on there within the slide about the key facts of the meat industry and some of its really critical challenges. Now you have the meat industry resources and that will link you through if you use the top link to a Google document on food resources. Really a situation has evolved with many different aspects of what we do or industries where and really we haven't traditionally or so far really demanded of any industry that it does not produce the really negative aspects of production on the climate or the environment through consumption of resources, pollution, contribution to climate change, and also ethical questions as regards to the treatment of animals. As you know, uh, for most people, even, you know, um, meat eaters and everybody, that if you really see some of the ways in which animals are treated in, in the production process, it's disturbing and extremely off-putting. Now, I did put in there a link to a film called Dominion, which contains a lot of footage of meat production. And I do warn you that it's pretty disturbing stuff, um, but it is there because going back to my original point, I think that a, a lot of us are isolated from really the consequences of our lifestyle. So uh, most meat eaters are not at the point of production of meat. They don't know what happens on a daily basis and how the animals are treated unless they actually have an interest and they go and find out. Same for the use of palm oil or the soy going to the meat, which leads to uh, rainforests being cut down and a whole set of knock-on effects from the fact that we consume so much meat. Now, for sure, absolutely, uh, human beings are omnivores. We evolved that way. 
and meat has been a part of the human diet for a very, very, very long time. We don't actually have to eat meat. Um, certainly we can survive without it and thrive without it. Uh, but I think that the middle ground there may be something like that. Yes, we can eat meat occasionally, but we are not absolutely not designed to eat meat every day or three times a day, which many people do. Apart from the problem for the planet that that creates, the incredible consumption of water resources, land, energy that is needed to create that protein, then um, there is also the health effects of consuming so much meat, which um, I think are becoming pretty well established now. Consuming meat to that extent is neither good for you, neither good for the planet, not good for the animals either. But there's, there's a much better balance of the planet to be found and we need to find it. And there's a general point and a specific point to be made there that we cannot afford these industries anymore that do not take into account these effects on climate change, on land pollution. We have to join up the dots. We as a society, as a political body, as a group of individuals, we have to say that any industry, meat industry or any other industry, has to start joining up the dots and looking at, right across the chain, all parts of the industry, its key relationships, interrelationships and effects and consequences for animals, the land, planet, and therefore, ultimately, also human beings. So that is the purpose of the examination of a complex system like an industry, the meat industry. Do use the resources there, the links there, to go through and just study a specific industry. In this case, we're looking at the meat industry. So there's all those links in that Google document in order to be able to do that. At the end of the slides, I've included the film Racing Extinction, which is about biodiversity loss. It's very powerful, it's a great documentary. Some of these documentaries do have a small fee attached to them, but um, they're not all free to watch. I've tried as much as possible to find ones that are free to watch, but sometimes there is a small fee to pay, um, but it's worth it. I've chosen ones that it's definitely worth it. Blue is about the oceans and the situation, the oceans and plastics. The next one is the rights of nature. And then the evolution of ecological consciousness. For all of us, right from the start, right from our childhood, to have a much, much deeper and broader and better awareness of everything that we do and the consequences of our lifestyle and to pay due regard to the environment and, you know, the ecology and its sustainability. They're all interesting films, so I encourage you to uh, have a look at them. And of course, we can talk about these things in the webinar. Okay, great, good. That's it for Module 2 podcast.